Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers on mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Morning, church. As is our custom, when I'm done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. Our Bible reading will be taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, from verses 4 to 10. 1 Thessalonians 1, from verses 4 to 10. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is the word of the Lord. I think it's safe to say Happy New Year, right? It's like this, this is the first time um, I'm bringing the word of God to you this year. So Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, in case you're watching with us for the first time, my name is Tommy. I'm one of the guys on the preaching team, and again, I'm happy to be the one bringing the word of God to you. Oh, but quickly, before we move on, last week, um, I just realized something I need to address quickly, all right? Um, last week's sermon was great, all right? Like, it was phenomenal, like, awesome. Um, Imano preached a really, really good sermon. And the problem is, I don't know whether I was inspired by God. <laughs> no, it was inspired by God. But, but maybe we I mean, could have inspired by the devil like that because this is anointed space, right? He yabbed me. I made up my mind I was going to reply him right here today. And, but I calmed down when I found out that it's not just me who's doing that too. Uh, during the q and I don't know if you attend q and right? So someone asked Pastor a question. I know the way Pastor usually answer. He will answer north, south, east, west. He gave everything, gave his all. And when he was done, Emmanuel said, if I may add to what Pastor has said. I said, huh? <laughs> this guy don't get you. I mean, he's already developing one. So if he can insult a PF and say the answer you give is not big enough, who am I? <laughs> I mean, who am I? But all that to say, I really think, again, that the sermon, last week's sermon was really, really amazing. And I want you to listen to it again if you've not done so, because the sermon we are going to be listening to today it's more like an exclamation mark for last week's sermon, or if you call it like a part two of last week's sermon. Um, but before we move on, let's just pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for bringing us to church. We thank you because when we gather, Lord, you stand up to serve us. Who are we? So we just ask, oh God, that today, serve us your word. Serve us Christ. Serve us the gospel. Let us feast so much upon you that we will not have appetite for sin or selfishness anymore. Let your word go forth in the Holy Spirit, in power, in deep conviction, in the name of Jesus, that everyone will testify that you alone are Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Um, Okay. I'm the first one in my my family. All right. And um, I have two siblings, um, two girls. I'm the only guy. Um, the age difference between me and um, the, the first lady, right, Sharon, is one year, eight months. The age difference between me and the third girl is 14 years. Um, yeah, I still don't understand what happened there. And I'm too, sh- I'm too shy to ask. Like, I just want to believe that that's what you did. <laughs> but again, there are a lot of things that come with being the firstborn. 
a lot of demands. One of the things that happen when you are the firstborn is this. You cannot misuse textbooks, right? You use that textbook, you have to use it well because you are going to pass it down. You can't just pass it down normally. It must be in perfect condition. But the second one has no worries. If she likes, which she did, just throw it away. Nobody cares. There are a lot of things that come with being the firstborn. A lot, again, is required of us. If, again, if you are the firstborn, you understand what I'm talking about. One of the things that happen is this. If there is group misbehavior, they naturally assume that you are the cause. They naturally assume that you are the one that started it. But again, um, I know it is hard to believe, but I've always been the gentle one. Listen, listen, I know that gentle people don't say they are gentle, but this is the one time it's true, all right? Again, so if you see me displaying any form of ungently behavior, it's really because I'm pushing back against injustice. You know what I'm talking about? Most of the time, being administered by one very tall man in this church, he just comes and he parades here every time, every Sunday, he just preaches, just, just, just be doing it, like this. Uh, all right. So again, it's not me, it's not me. It just tends to bring out the evil somewhere. Or rather, it deposits it inside. But one of these times, Sharon, as gentle as she looks, that's my sister, she actually told us to do something really, really bad. Well, we did it. And of course, they assumed that I was the one that started it. So mommy was about to beat us, so we're both kneeling down. And um, mommy gave Sharon two strokes. Immediately, she started crying. Mommy, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. Blah, blah, blah. Mommy gave her extra two and left her alone. That's the end. Then they moved to the first one. Now, um, Basket Mouth made a joke about this, but when he made that joke, it wasn't a joke to me, it was true. That was my life. <laughs> There's this idea that when you're the first one, when they are beating you, they tend to give advice as they are beating you. You get what I'm talking about? <laughs> so the beating went something like this You are the first one. You must be responsible. Now, you will assume. That as she's doing, listen, listen, you, all right, I'll give you time, I'll give you time. Pastor Pemi is like, because you're you suffering from this, right? <laughs> you will assume that as she's doing that kind of a thing, the cane cannot be, I mean, it can't be that painful, but my mommy has mastered the art of administering maximum pain while she's advising, it was just perfect. Me, on the other hand, I felt like I deserved the beating, so I will not cry until the pain is big enough to make me cry. So I will stretch my hand, I will collect everything, and eventually, I will cry. And she left me alone. This is one of those times I was almost convinced my sister was not right. This is what she did. When mommy left, we were thinking about what we've done, we are meditating on the news. Sharon said, but Tommy, you don't have sense, Sha. <laughs> Again, if you are the firstborn, you understand what I'm talking about. That's the way they behave. She said, you don't have sense, Sha. I said, okay, what happened? She said, you saw me. I collected two strokes. I started crying. She left me alone. You, your Chester, you can collect K. You start me to cry so she can leave me alone on time. Woes of being the firstborn. But again, as the firstborn, one of the things that I really wanted the most was to impress my parents. Oh, I wanted to make them happy. Like, like I didn't just want to make them happy in a way that they were just going to commend me once. You know the kind of commendation that when you do something, they will commend you the first time. They come back to your room and say, ah, ah, well done. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of commendation I wanted. That's the kind of things I wanted to do to impress them. Again, woes of being the firstborn and all these things I just finished describing is the way the Thessalonians were actually are as well. They were one of the first people to receive the gospel in the region of Macedonia. And so a lot was relying upon them. Their responsibility was to pass down the textbook of the gospel in pristine condition, in perfect condition. And they did well. Because Paul commended them, not once, not twice, three times. He said, I thank the Lord because of the way they live their lives. Oh, that will be that kind of a church. That when heaven beholds us, they will commend us, not once, not twice, more times than we could even account in the name of Jesus. They were like a perfect church. It was one of the only churches that in, in, in the Bible that Paul didn't have anything to correct. They were just good. But Paul also said concerning them in verse 7, sorry, verse 6, he said, you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering. 
Now, in those I, 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 I found this out as I was preparing for this sermon that 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians is probably the only letter that Paul wrote. That when he was describing Jesus, he called him the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't call him Lord Jesus. He didn't call him Christ Jesus. I mean, he didn't call him Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. He said the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? You see, there's this idea in those days. It's called Kaiser Curious. Kaiser means Caesar. Curious means Lord. It means Caesar is Lord. It meant that there were certain times where the emperor Caesar would get to a point where he would deify himself. He would make himself God, a God. And then they would build shrines to worship him. Thessalonica at that time had a temple that was worshipping the emperor. So when Paul came and was saying, oh, Jesus is Lord, it meant what? Caesar is not Lord. In fact, by the time in Acts chapter 17, when we were going to send Paul out of Thessalonica, they said the charge was, he is claiming that there is another Lord who is Jesus, and Caesar wasn't. And so when you say the kind of Jesus is Lord that we say here, we say Jesus is Lord, it's just so nice. In those days, it was dangerous. It was a spiritual proclamation that had economic implications. You know what I'm talking about? Because if you say Jesus is Lord and Caesar feels as if he is threatened, he could come and destroy all of you. So everybody in Thessalonica at that time had a vested interest in clamping down upon the gospel. Everybody in Thessalonica at that time had a vested interest in silencing the message that was going out. But in spite of all of this, the Bible says the message of God rang out from them. Think about it. The, not, the, not, the, not the officials, the average person. That is, your boss could be your enemy. Your employee could be your enemy. Your, your husband could be your enemy. Because they are all scared that if Caesar hears this thing, you have come to believe. It can destroy us. It can destroy us. And so they tried to silence it. But the, like I said, the Bible said, the Lord's message rang out. The Greek word there for ringing out is also the same word for echo. Say the Lord's message echoed from you, not only in Macedonia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. I just pray that God will make us this kind of a church. Amen. But for us to be this kind of a church, there are certain things we need to understand. And that's why I've titled this sermon Gospel Echoes. Right, makes sense, right? Really? <laughs> Gospel Echoes. And um, we'll be examining this sermon. Um, this is a new year. I'm not going with you. I'm not I'm kidding. Three, three, three points. Three points. The source of gospel echo, the picture of gospel echo, the future of gospel echo, the source of gospel echo, the picture of gospel echo, and the future of gospel echo. So, firstly, the source of gospel echo. The question is, why exactly were the Thessalonians like this? Why did they live this kind of life? Again, they were a crazy set of people. In fact, the, um, all you are seeing, all these things you are reading about in Thessalonica only happened as the result of three weeks of evangelism. Yeah. Paul spent three weeks there. Three weeks is not enough to plant a structured church. Yeah, no, ask Pastor Femi. I'm, I'm, it's not. Three weeks is not enough to, in quotes, seemingly establish people in the faith. Yet, even though they had all these issues, they didn't have Q&A sessions to ask uh, Pastor Paul the kind of issues they had. They didn't have a vibrant city kids ministry. No, they didn't have any of those. They didn't have kingdom prayer day. None of those structures was around. Yet, they lived a kind of life that the Bible said, again, the message rang out everywhere. What exactly is the reason for this? What will make a group of people be this radical, be this crazy? You can look at that and say, oh, the Bible says either has been forgiven much, loves much. So maybe the reason why they are this radical is because, oh, they believe that God has forgiven them a lot of sins. You know how many people, when you come into Jesus at, um, at a later time in your life, you tend to be like, oh, I've done a lot of things, and so Jesus has forgiven me. They just tend to be more vibrant. Maybe that's the reason. But is that the reason Paul gives? Or maybe you say, oh, it's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So maybe they understood the love of God, they committed to him, and that's why they were living this kind of a life. Well, yes, that is good, that is true, that is biblical, but is that the reason that Paul gives as the source for this kind of gospel echo? The reason that Paul gives in verse 4, For we know, brothers and sisters, 
loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Listen carefully. When you are reading your Bible and you see because, there's an unspoken why in front of it. You guys know what I'm talking about. So he's saying, the God, we know brothers and sisters, Lord by God, that he has chosen you. Why? Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but in power. The reason why the gospel came to them, not simply in words, but in power with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, was because they were chosen. It's this idea in theology that we call unconditional election. I'm talking about like, oh, what do you mean? It's very easy. Unconditional election is election that is not based on any condition. Simple as that. <laughs> Unconditional election is the sovereign will of God to choose people not based on anything that is in them, but based on the love that he has. Unconditional election is the sovereign will of God to choose people not because they are wiser, not because they are smarter, not because they are naturally predisposed to doing something good, but because he himself is the God that loves. Paul hinges the effective ministry in Thessalonica. He hinges it upon the election of God. It means that, listen, there, is no, there was nothing in Thessalonian church that was going to necessarily drive God farther away from them or bring God closer to them. There was nothing, there was no condition in them that made them a better candidate for salvation than the other person. And that's why the hymn writer said, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. There is nothing in us that will compel God to actually look upon us in favor. We are sinful people. There was no good. There is no good in us. But if you read the text again, it said the gospel came with deep conviction. Think about it. Have you been in situations where somebody asks you to do something? Or they ask you to say something. And you just tell them, I can't say it. I can't do it. And they ask you why, and you can't articulate it. Because there is something deep inside of you. Your conviction that is controlling your life. Paul is saying that the gospel came and went to the root of all things, to their deepest convictions, and changed it there in such a way that this conviction that Christ is Lord was controlling every part of their life. If Christ is Lord and Caesar is not, what can Caesar do to me? That was the reason why they were acting that way. And the question then comes to us, why do you think you have believed in Jesus? Why do you think you are saved? Is it because, in quote, Jesus proposed and I responded to the proposal? Why do you think it was you, among all your friends that used to go to the club together, why was it you that stayed back that day and then you heard the gospel that saved you? Why was it you? Some of us are from families where we are, we are from Muslim families. Why is it that it was you that went to that particular school at that particular time, that met that particular person? I felt convicted to actually tell you about Jesus. Why is it that you were saying, why was he? Because again, if some of us feel like, oh, God proposed, I answered. Yes, why did you answer? What is the source of the gospel? Like, what is the source of the salvation that you have received? We all grew up in Nigeria. Well, I mean, well, most of us, right? <laughs> it's not in, you've not, you didn't hear the gospel once. You know what I'm talking about? He heard it multiple times. Why was it that it was at that particular time, there's that one time, that you know that no, something changed in me. I remember when I committed my life to Jesus. I went to preach. Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah. I went to preach. That is, I had heard the gospel so much, I could articulate it to somebody else. But I wasn't saved. I preached to this person, the person rejected Jesus, and I started crying. I said, how can you be so dumb that they will present life to you and you will choose death? I was wailing. I was crying. An older friend came to meet me and he said, I've never seen anybody preach and cry because the person you preached to rejected Jesus. And at that point, you would think he was trying to, like, maybe praise me. But the next thing he said was, it was just impossible. He said, eh, but are you saved? <laughs> it didn't make any sense. This was not the first time I had heard somebody say, but are you saved? But at that time, I broke down. 
at that time I broke down. Why was it at that time? Was it because of something in me? No, it was because God himself chose me. The reason why you have accepted Jesus is because God himself has chosen you. Let me explain a little bit further. Ladies, you understand this better. Ladies in the house, praise God. Praise God. Now, don't be shy. I'm not yabbing you. No, no, no. Pastor Femi has said that he's like, he said something. He said he's a proud woman rapper. Me too. All right. We're good. Um, have you gotten to a point where somebody is asking you out? It's my wife right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Pastor, Pastor, calm. Pastor, calm, calm. All right. We're good. <laughs> oh, it's your wife? No, Pastor, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. what I'm talking about. Anyways, 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 back to someone, back to someone. So somebody is asking you out, and um, you know you don't, you're not interested in them. But they persist and persist. They wear you down until you say yes. And some of you ladies are like, uh, yeah, that's my husband. <laughs> so it is possible that you are in the friend zone, men, amen, amen. but by resilience. You can move to boyfriend, lover, father, husband, anything. <laughs> Pastor. <laughs> but there are some people, listen, that even if they're the last people on earth, and they keep on asking, you will still say no. An example is this guy. Can I have his picture? I was trying to project his picture. He's a movie character. This guy. Do you know this guy? This guy. Yeah, you know him. He's a movie character in Money Heist. Now, yeah, exactly. Like, this guy. Now, he's actually supposed to be the good guy, but he's a bad guy. Um, for those of you that have not seen Money Heist, let me explain. Imagine the most annoying person you know. And then, the person that once you see them, you just want to slap them. If they come together and have a child, that's what they'll get. No, honestly. That's what you'll get. It doesn't matter how many times this movie character asks you out. You're going to say no. You detest him. But listen, listen carefully, listen carefully. Salvation means that you saw the gospel as Arthuro and you started treating the gospel as Dwayne Johnson. You know who Dwayne Johnson is? Yes. Okay. Yes. The gospel, listen carefully, salvation is that something that you saw as Arthuro you started treating him as Dwayne Johnson. How? Do you think it's something inside of you that caused that to happen? See, if Arturo decided to touch up and change part of his ways, you know, you can probably feel like, oh, maybe it's possible I can get to love him. But the gospel didn't change. It remained the same. God loves you. It was the same. The same time you heard it. God cares for you. It was the same time you heard it. But at that particular time, something happened in you. And you started treating this as well as Dwayne Johnson. That is the power of God. That is the divine election of God. Not based on anything that is in you. But based on his own love for you. That is the source of the gospel echo. We have come to see Arthuro as Dwayne Johnson. We have come to see the Joker as Batman. We have come to see the green goblin as Spider-Man. We have come to see the person that we hated the most in all the world as the one person we cannot do without. Something else happened to us. We brought nothing to our salvation. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. It says Jesus, the author, and what? Finisher. It didn't say Jesus, the author, and you participated in the middle, then he finished. No. That's not what he said, right? He said Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The picture of salvation, many times, we feel like I said, the picture of salvation is that we feel like, oh, you know, we're just so nice, God came, just proposed to us, he knelt down. Tomorrow is Valentine. Praise God. <laughs> <laughs> lots of proposals are going to go for a thing. And probably lots of rejections too. <laughs> but we normally feel like God just came to propose and you cooperated with him. And that's why marriage happened. Or you feel like you were drowning in the sea of sin. We were all drowning, all of us. We didn't even know what we wanted to do. Then God threw the rope of grace. And you, by faith, you cut that rope and he yanked you out of the water. That's not the picture the Bible paints. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says we were dead in sin. 
on the sea of sin, we were all corpse, bloated, stinking. Jesus brought us out of that water, breathed life into us, and we became a living soul. Why? Because he chose us. The question then is, how then can you be proud if you know this? A proud Christian that understands unconditional election is an ugly moron. You're impossible. You shouldn't exist. But it's still shocking. And I understand that maybe some of us, are, we don't like this doctrine so much because historically what people have done with it is use this doctrine to show intellectual superiority. Yes, we are sorry. But there is more to this doctrine. Paul, reflecting upon this doctrine, check from verse 2. Check from verse 2. We say, we thank God for all of you and continually mention in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know. What he was actually thanking God for was what he knew, what he knew, that God had actually chosen them. In Romans chapter 9, all the way to chapter 11, Paul was meditating upon God's unconditional election. Paul was meditating upon this predestination doctrine. By the time he was going to end it, in Romans chapter 11, verse 33 to 36, he said, all the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable is judgment, why will he choose you? You can't search, you don't understand why. It's parts beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him, and through him, and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. If you understand all conscious election, your life will be a life of worship. Because there is nothing in you. There is nothing in you. That's why the Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9. It says, it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith, this is a gift from God. Lest anybody should boast. There is nothing in us that we can boast about. Well, maybe Paul doesn't know what, didn't know what he was talking about, right? Maybe Paul was just um, rambling. Why don't you check Luke? Luke wrote in Acts chapter 13, verse 48, he said, When the Gentiles heard this, the gospel, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. He didn't say all who believed were appointed to eternal life. He said, all who were appointed to eternal life believed. Maybe look again, did you understand what I was talking about? Let's check Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 16, he said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I ordained you to go and bear fruits that will last. God chose us. We didn't choose him. There's nothing in us. Nothing in us that will make us choose God. Or maybe you're saying, Oh, and it's just the New Testament. But these are starters in the Old Testament. Go back to Abraham. <clears throat> Why did God choose Abraham? Think about it. The guy was a pagan, just like every other person. In fact, if you study the Bible well, you discover that Abraham was no better than Adam. In fact, he was worse. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam sinned, what did he do when God asked him? He threw his wife under the bus. How many times did Abraham throw his wife under the bus? Twice. Twice. The Bible is making a point to you that there was nothing in Abraham that made him deserve the divine choosing of God, the favor of God. It has started from the beginning. Abraham was not better than every other person. In fact, he was probably worse. He was so bad, God came to me and said, Oga, oh come, walk before me and be blameless. I'll back you day. <laughs> the guy was the bad guy. Or maybe not Abraham. Let's do Israel. I mean, how silly can you be, Israel? Did you know there was a time where um, they wanted something from me? They said they wanted um, cucumber. They were in the desert. They said they wanted cucumber. <laughs> listen, what is, what, what is annoying is, listen, they were desiring cucumber when the pillar of cloud was right there in the sky. Pillar of fire. Say, God has forgotten us. We want cucumber. <laughs> Those guys, those guys, they don't deserve to be saved. <laughs> so what was it about them? Nothing. 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 It was all based on the condition in God himself, the condition of love, yeah. that he chose certain people. 
Nothing. I know you're probably thinking right now, um, okay, I hear you. What happens to those God has not chosen? There is an answer. I'm just not going to give it. Can't secure any. <laughs> Anyways, now listen, listen. I, I, believe, I believe, again, I, I, I am convinced that Paul was wanted to focus on the good news of unconditional election. And I want us to focus on that just, just for a little bit. But humor me, all right? Humor me, humor me, humor me. Humor me. Um, what if this is true? I just assume it's true. That God actually choose, chooses some people. Let's just assume it's true. Just an assumption. Let's assume that Paul said what he said. All right? It means something for you. Remember I said the effectiveness of the gospel was hinged upon God's divine choosing. It means it's not hinged upon your eloquence. You don't have any excuse not to preach anymore. It means the kind of excuses some of us give some of the time. I am not holy enough. Remember, the effectiveness of the gospel is not dependent on how holy you are on the holiness scale. It's dependent on God's divine choosing. You don't have any excuse. You have to preach now. You have to preach now. If God says, just, just again, just humor me. If God actually said that the effectiveness of the gospel is inched upon your eloquence or inched upon how holy you are, nobody will be saved. Because nobody will be holy enough. Nobody will be eloquent enough. But again, God actually decides that the efficiency of the gospel will depend upon him such that we, earthen vessels, that's why Paul said that we have put this treasure in earthen vessels, things that do not matter, broken vessels, so that the excellency of power may be of God, not of us. Broken vessels, yes, but we will preach. Vessels that have been mended, yes, but we will preach. Because the effectiveness of the gospel is dependent on God's own divine choosing. Nothing in us. Election safeguards you from pride in the face of gospel advancement. Because you understand that if God renews this city of Lagos as we are crying out for, it's not you. Because God has chosen And this is the gospel echo. This is our job. Making people, listen, making people to treat Arturo again as if he was doing Johnson. Making people to love what they do not love. You can't like what you don't like. There's no way you bring two eyes to me now. I hate it. It's not that you are forcing me to eat it. It's that you want to make me love it. We didn't love God. What is the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. It is impossible to make yourself love somebody. That is the message of the gospel. That's the work of the believer. You are preaching so that the person that hates this person will come to love him. It is impossible. Except God chooses. Impossible. But for many of us, it is so hard for us to do this. That is why we have settled with, for raising good citizens when God has called us to raise godly saints. It is so hard to do so you console yourself by giving a lot of money when God has charged you to raising end-time armies that will renew this city spiritually, socially, and culturally. I'm not saying that giving is bad. Please, God, no. This church is here because people gave. I'm not saying raising good citizens is bad. Please, no. I'm saying that I don't think the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, has been given to us so we can achieve the same thing that Bill is achieving. I don't think God has chosen us simply so that we can achieve what a non-Christian is going to achieve without the power of God. God has called us to more. More responsibility is placed upon us because we have been chosen. The good news is that we have been elected just like the Thessalonians have been elected. We have been elected for an effective gospel. We have been elected for conformity to the image of the Son. We have been elected to be a model church. But what have we done? We were chosen just as they were. What have we done? We have focused on this storm and we have begun to sink. Remember that story with Peter and Jesus? 
Jesus came walking upon the water, <clears throat> doing the impossible. And Jesus told me, Peter said, if you are Christ, tell me to come. And Jesus said, come. He walked on the waters. The Bible says, until he noticed the storm around him, then he began to sink. We are focused on the storm of suffering. We are focused on the storm of acceptance. We are focused on the storm of Lagos is hard. I don't have time. I cannot preach. May God not treat your work the way you have treated his work. I will pray it again. You didn't get it. May God not treat your work the way you have treated his work. Because if he does, God bless me. I don't have time. Mm. <laughs> if for one day God says he doesn't have your time, you are done for. But what's our excuse? Whatever suffering we think we are going through, the Thessalonian church suffered more. What's our excuse? We have been given a lot of things. We might have been given a world that is filled with sadness, but we have also been given the joy of the Holy Spirit. We don't have any excuse. We might have been given a world that needs saving, but we've also been given a God that saves. What we've not been given is an excuse. When I've been given news of wickedness, husbands cheating on their wives, wives leaving their kids, abortions, racism, when I've been given all those news, but one thing we've also been given is the greatest news of all, the power of God unto salvation for the Jews and the Gentiles. We have been given that news. What is our excuse? I pray that the gospel will echo from us in the name of Jesus. But then what does this gospel echo look like? What is the picture of the gospel echo? What does it look like? Four things. Four things. One, in verse 6 you read, said you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So the first picture is that they were trying to conform to the image of the Son along with other believers. They were trying to imitate Jesus along with other believers. The second picture is they became a model. They became a model to other believers. Again, for all our issues with, in quotes now, the holiness movement when we were growing up, people identified them. People knew them. Yes, you are saying, oh, they're a bunch of hypocrites. They were this, they were that. People knew them. Do they know us? Or what do they know us for? They were models to other believers, not unbelievers. Other believers wanted to be like them. When they said, the Bible also said, the Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia, so they were preaching the word. But fourthly, your faith in God has become known everywhere. They were living the word. This is the picture of gospel echo. The way we can be a model for other believers is by imitating Jesus. Is by comparing ourselves with Jesus. Our problem, the reason why we are so relaxed, is because you keep on comparing yourself with people that are lesser than you. You keep on comparing yourself, oh, that false teacher, that false church down the road, at least I'm better than him, but then you're not as good as the ideal. So you have come to relax. Listen, if you find yourself talking more about um, false teachers, false doctrines in the church in Nigeria than you do about the move of God in this country, you cannot be a model to other believers. Yeah. Why? Because you will constantly feel that you are better off. There's a Yoruba adage. They say, Nilo Afoju, Oloji You know what that means? In a village of blind people, the one-eyed man is their king. You feel like you're better than the other person, so there's no need for you to move on. There's no need for you to be better. Stop comparing yourselves with churches in courts that are sick. Because even though you're not a sick church, you're not the church in Thessalonica either. Even though you are not a sick church, you have not fully conformed to the image of the Son. So what are we talking about? The goal, and I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to say, for all of us who compare ourselves, the goal is not how much you don't look like a false church. The goal is how much you look like Jesus. The goal is not how much you look like a false church. I don't look like that church. Do you look like Jesus? Because you might not look like that church, but you look like another demonic church. It's possible. It is. It is. And this is why we pray. This is why we fast. This is why we are saying, God, there is an ideal. 
and there is my reality, I'm not fully conformed to the image of the Son, let them align. That is our prayer. This is why we do gospel communities. When people gather during the week, it is so that people can be more conformed to the image of the Son. This is why the gospel can, this is how we can be a model to other believers. But how can we do this when we are busy avoiding the very means that God is going to use to conform us to his image? Gospel community is starting this week. Praise God. Where will you be? (laughs) Are you going to think that you are okay? That you are all right? And the question will always be, okay compared to what? Okay compared to who? If we compare you with Jesus, you are not okay. But in verse 7, we see something else. Can you just picture verse 7 for me, please? All right, fine. In verse 7, we also see, oh, verse 8. The Lord's message rang out. And like I said, the Greek word for ringing out here is the, word, is the same word for echo. So let me just um, borrow this analogy a little bit, this analogy of echo. Let me just borrow it and use it for something real quick. An echo only exists because an initial sound has been made, right? The sound that is being made is our gospel proclamation. But the echo is the life that we live. Many people will not pay attention to the initial sound because the echo is so bad. So your echo is so bad, they think that the initial sound is bad. Your life is so bad, they think the message is bad. That's why they are not joining us. What kind of picture, what kind of echo is your life giving out? Are you giving a kind of echo that people come and meet you and say, show me your God, show me the reason why you behave this way. Because your life is just so beautiful. Many of us watch YouTube. Maybe all of us. And there are times where, I know we usually skip hards, but maybe sometimes you're just too tired, you just watch, let the hard run. And NGOs usually advertise. They, I mean, they want you to donate, they want you to give. And then they show the picture of a child that is um, hungry, dirty, and sick. And the mother is carrying the child and all of that. And then they say, see the way people are suffering. Give. Out of guilt, you will give the first time. If it comes again, you might give. Sure, you see that third time. You most likely will not. That just starts. Statistics. Why? Because the picture they are painting for you is not something you can key into. It's a picture of hopelessness. So you don't even think your money is going to do much. They've changed their tactic now. What they do is show you a happy child and tell you that for one dollar per week, for six months, right, you, this child can eat three square meals and go to school. You say, hey, one dollar. Uh-uh. I'll give. See what they did. They didn't paint a picture of what is. They painted a picture of what could be. And that is what you are then keying into. World leaders understood this. That is what Martin Luther King understood. That you cannot just paint a picture of what is. People will complain along with you. If you paint a picture of what could be, a revolution can arise. That is why he then began to say, I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state swelling with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by their character. Do you see? He was painting a picture of what could be. So they keyed into it. Listen, if the echo of your life is simply painting a picture of what is for the unbeliever, they don't see any need to change. They don't see any need to change. Are we living a kind of life that the unbeliever is saying, I see where I am, I see what is, but I see what could be because I'm checking Shola's life. I see what could be because I'm checking Tunde's life. I see what could be because I'm checking Dara's life. What picture is our life painting? I used to draw. Then I stopped. Life happened. I just got busy. Very, very busy. <laughs> I used to draw, and well, I wasn't the best in my class. I'm going to say the truth. I like some people that would say they were the best in music, but um, um, yeah. Just, uh, just, uh, I don't know why this is coming up. It's just coming out of it. I don't understand why. 
Um, all right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let's come back. <laughs> I wasn't the best, I wasn't the best, I wasn't the best, I wasn't the best, but I was really good, I was really good. But there were these guys that could draw better than I could. Are we done? All right, thank you. <laughs> there were these guys that could draw better than I could. Um, up until when I was in GS1, I didn't believe anybody could draw and get the exact face. Because I tried and it was impossible. But these guys, they got it. They were just perfect. One particular day, I drew a pineapple. So this pineapple. I shaded it. It was actually really good. I you know, you know when, you do, when you do something, you're like, no, more bad. I, 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 yeah, I knew I did. My art teacher loved it, and so they would try to um, ex do an exhibition with other artworks by students. Now, if you are the kind of person that draws, the elite, those of you that know how to draw, yeah, you understand what I'm talking about? The, the, your reward is not just money. You want money. Yeah. But your reward is when somebody looks at what you've drawn. You're not there. You're just you standing at the back. You're just looking. And they're like, oh, more this drawing bad. Oh. That's your reward. So we're doing that. And so me and these guys, we stood at the back. Our artworks were displayed. And the mother and the child, I won't forget this day. She was walking and she, was so, she saw the painting of my friend and she said, oh, nice painting. Oh, wow, this painting is so nice. Show the second one. And she got to mine. And she said, who drew this? <laughs> Pay attention. No, let, let's, let's think again. Nice painting. Nice painting. Who drew this? Some paintings are good enough to compel commendation from you. But there are some paintings that are so good that they are screaming that I didn't paint myself. Somebody else painted me. You want to know who it is. What kind of a life, what kind of a picture is your life painting? Is it so good such that people will not say, oh, it's a nice painting. But they will say, who painted you? Who painted you? Is our life that good? Is our life that good? Do people see us and say, I love, see, listen, do they see us and feel like the echo that is coming out is the echo of the worship of success, money, and power? Or do they feel like it's an echo of the worship of the one and only true living God? Do people see you and they say, I hate your view on sexuality. I do. I hate your view on God. I hate your view on money. I hate your view on everything. Oh boy, your life is beautiful. <laughs> they don't have to agree with us. But they have to see that the life we live is more beautiful. Yes. They have to see it. Something radical, something else that's really, really cool is, is going on in the text. But you also find that in, um, in verse 8. It says, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. He didn't say the message has become known. He has talked about that. He said the message rang out. But he said your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. In the original Greek reading, about rendering, about it is not there. So read it this way. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything. I know that there is this idea when someone says something like, um, preach the gospel at all times, even necessary, use words. And we push back against that and say, oh, the gospel is news. Then they talk, they talk news, they use their mouths. They don't, they don't leave it out. But I'm proposing that there is a way we can live our lives such that people are already won over with the kind of life we are living before we even proclaim. And before you think that this is only a Paul's issue, Peter also says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. 1 Peter 3, verse 1. He says, Why? In the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband, so that if any of them do not believe the word, what? They may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Again, I'm saying we will preach, oh. we will proclaim the gospel, but our lives can do the job such that when the gospel proclamation just comes, it's just as simple, no, this is just yeah, it's the right thing to do, it makes sense. It's our life 
that kind of a life. In fact, I even went for her to think that this, this day, right, um, they, they report, you see, um, they, for they, verse 9, for they themselves report with, with what kind of reception you gave us. Who is the day? I don't think it's just believers. I actually think it's unbelievers as well. That unbelievers can look at the kind of life we are living and proclaim that, no, we know that you have turned away from God. Look, look at the text. They, tell, they ended by saying, they, we know that, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Unbelievers. They are talking about a living and true God. Again, this is not the first time unbelievers are doing this. There's a way believers can act. That unbelievers will testify that Jesus is Lord. You find it in the Old Testament. In Exodus, in the book of Exodus, Chapter 8. So God was going to deliver the Israelites from the Egyptians, and so he was performing um, signs and miracles. Moses, it was actually Aaron's stick. I'm sure most of you didn't know that, but it was Aaron's stick. Aaron's stick turned to stone, the magicians, and to, to snake. The magicians came and they did the same thing. They turned water to wine, to blood. Ah, oh, Jesus. Water to blood. <laughs> it was blood, it was blood, it was blood. You can calm down, you can calm down. <laughs> the magicians did the same thing. They brought frogs. The magicians did the same thing. They brought gnats. You know what the magician said? He said, this is the finger of God. How did he know? I thought they were opposed to this God. They still testify that this is the finger of God. Not, in, not only in Exodus. In Daniel chapter 3, the three Hebrew men, they were not just boys now, they were already men. They were governing a whole city, uh, city, all right? So they were, they were men. Nebuchadnezzar came and said, Oh, I built this golden statue. Fall down and worship it. He said, No, we will not do so. Even if our God doesn't save us, we will not do so. God saved them. Look at what Nebuchadnezzar said. He said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Pause. There is a way we can stand for Jesus that the unbeliever will say, Praise be to Jesus. Praise be to God. He said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against this god doesn't make any sense. I mean, this same guy that was supposed to be persecuting them, type protecting them because of the kind of life they lived. We can live such a life. We can live such a life that when the non-Christian encounters us, they encounter Jesus. Amen. That can also happen even in church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 24 to 25, one of my favorite verses when I'm praying for the church, when I'm praying for the service. If an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. Now listen. So they will fall down and worship God. The unbeliever, the inquirer, he doesn't know, he's an inquirer, he doesn't know, and declare, exclaiming, God is really among you. See, there is a way we can declare the gospel in the adoration. There is a way we can declare the gospel in our prayers. There is a way we can declare the gospel in the Bible reading. In your ushering, there is a way you can live the gospel. That the unbeliever will say, God is really among you. That they will come and go and they will still not remain the same. Those are the kind of times that will happen when you call them. Next they will say, I was glad. when They will start quoting scriptures. I was glad when they said, let us go. Because they know what they are getting here. We are not there yet. Stop comparing yourselves with false teachers, with false churches, with sick churches. Start comparing yourselves with times when God actually revived certain people. At a particular time, in the great awakening, people will come to church. People that didn't even know anything about God will come and God will grip their hearts and they will repent. Don't compare yourselves with unhealthy churches. Compare yourselves with times like in the 1920s. When the Bible came in Nigeria, the Bible said, not the Bible, the book actually, the book I read. All right. <laughs> Talked about. All right, calm down. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This thing's hard. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Don't compare yourselves with unhealthy churches. Compare yourselves with times when, like in the 1920s, when people from all over Nigeria were going to Elisha. Because the power of God was available to save, to deliver, to break every chain. 
That is where we are going. Stop comparing yourself where you're coming from. We are going somewhere. Compare yourselves with those ones. We are not there yet. Don't relax. We are not there yet. But that will lead to my third point. The future of gospel echo. The future of gospel echo. I have tried to use the Thessalonian church to inspire us, to call us to more, to encourage us, to make us see that there is more in God, and there is more for us to experience, there is more for us to encounter. We can be more effective with the gospel. But check verse 10. Check verse 10. If you just project verse 10 for us. I can't find it. Verse 10. All right. And to wait for his son from heaven. Listen, these people didn't just turn from their idols. They were serving the one, and tr- the, the one true and living God. Then verse 10 comes. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Why do you wait? I mean, you would expect that they would probably relax. I mean, they, these guys are good. They are amazing. They shame me. They shame us. Everybody knew about them. The Bible said they were waiting for his son from heaven. The question is why? It's because as we discussed in the picture of the gospel echo, the goal has always been conformity to the image of the son. That's what the goal has always been. So even though the Thessalonian church were this amazing, many of them were still struggling with sin. Even though the Thessalonian church was this amazing, many of them were probably also shy to declare the gospel. So they knew that even we ourselves, we are not the ideal. There is somebody that is more ideal than the Thessalonian church. And they knew that we were not like him yet. And maybe you are here as well. You are saying, I've tried, I'm just not conforming to the image of the son. I'm just not conforming. I am shy. I don't know enough of the gospel. I cannot declare the way I want to. And you are discouraged. The Bible says something. That when Jesus comes, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he really is. This was why they were waiting for him. Like, yes, we've done all this cool stuff. Yes, we are better than almost every other church. But the goal is to conform to you, Jesus. The goal is to conform to your own ideal. So they were not going to stop. They were going to wait. Their future is your future because you have been chosen and elected by God. That one day, your fears will be no more. One day, your sin struggle will be no more. One day, your excuses that you are giving for suffering will be no more because you shall be as he really is because you shall see him. I have good news for you. Jesus is coming back. But if you are here and you're a non-Christian, the future of the Christian is glory conforming to the image of the Son because Jesus died and rose again and rescued them from wrath. Your own future, if you keep on rejecting the gospel, is wrath, pain. Like Chris says something, I think it's very, very dope. He said, we're all going to live forever whether we like it or not. Some of us are going to end up holy, some of us are going to end up hot. Depends on what you want. The future is conformity to the image of the sun. But until Jesus comes back, I believe I hear the Spirit of God saying to us, like, we are like Moses before the Red Sea. And the same question that God asked Moses is what he's asking you today. What is in your hand? You're a student. When it comes to gospel echo, what is in your hand? 
you are a mother. When it comes to gospel echo, what is in your hand? It is that thing that is in your hand that God wants to use to echo his message to the world. And what we are supposed to do is stand and say, Father, with everything that you have given unto us, we will shout your glory. Father, with everything you have given unto us, my career, my business, my family, my friendship, everything is going to shout for your glory until the whole world knows the one and only living God. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.